are listening to the Latter-day Ladypreneur Podcast. I'm Sarah Grace Allred, your host. Welcome to a sweet mix of interviews with business gurus, as well as solo episodes with me about the lessons, strategies, and inspiration that brought me from bumbling around in business to playing big in the fantastic arena of entrepreneurship. Look, the real magic comes when you and I get to talk business alongside the brilliant words of Esther, Nephi, and even Sherry Dew as we explore who we can become while we engage in this exciting journey as a woman of faith and an entrepreneur. Let's get started. Grace Live and welcome back to the podcast. It is Heroine's Journey Week again. I am so thrilled that you are back here. We are on stage four of the Heroine's Journey and shocker, it is a stage that is way different than the Hero's Journey. So you are in for a treat today and man, we are going to be talking about the gathering of allies and what an essential part of the heroine's journey this is. Now, if you are new to the podcast and maybe you're just listening to the most recent podcast, you are like, wait, you're on stage four? I don't even know what stage I need to start at. You need to jump on back to the very, very first episode, episode 27. It is called The Heroine's Journey, and that will give you an overview of what we are talking about today. The Heroine's Journey is the journey that you and other heroines across film and the scriptures have taken in order to define and become who God wants them to become. What journey do they experience? That's what we're talking about. And we are on stage four of that today. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, hop on back to episode 27. You'll be able to catch up really quickly. And you and I can start talking in the present moment here about stage four, the gathering of allies. Are you ready to dig in? So glad that you are here. Let's get started. Okay. So let's first define why this is so different for the heroine instead of the hero. Because man, I have a huge respect for this moment in the hero's journey because I'm a huge fan of a couple of really prominent characters in film. I'm really a big fan of Gandalf. I'm a really big fan of Dumbledore. Okay. I'm a really big fan of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay. What are we talking about when we talk about these amazing guides? We're talking about the guide. That's what we're talking about. So normally this stage in the hero's journey is the moment when the hero aligns himself with a guide. And it's typically, literally the, the old white wizard. That is the more traditional guy that you will see over and over and over again in the hero's journey. It is Gandalf. It is Dumbledore, right? In Star Wars, it is Obi-Wan Kenobi and eventually Yoda. Like it's that kind of guide that we love to learn from and admire. We love to pull quotes from them. And it's an incredible relationship there. So the heroine's journey is different. Does she eventually seek a guide? Yeah, traditionally she does eventually seek a guide, but it is not her first instinct. And I want you to remember that the heroine has already been through the stage where she feels sparked to do something. Okay. There's been an idea in her mind that she feels like I should do something about this. Next, she has struggled with her identity to determine if her identity is in line with what she feels sparked to do. And she has fought that most intense fight that she will ever fight, which is within herself. And she has decided to, to commit to it and make a step forward. So then she approaches the gate. Remember the path to the left is the, the, the pathway of comfort and the pathway to the right, which has the huge raw iron gate is the path 
of peace, which means she is making a commitment either time-wise or financially, or she's giving her word to making this spark happen. She enters through the gate and then she seeks for allies. This is the most fascinating experience for me to dive into as a fellow heroine of hers to see, oh my goodness, isn't that fascinating that as women, instead of prioritizing a guide or a coach or a mentor first, we actually more seek for people like us, for allies, for a group. All right. So we are going to dive into Rapunzel and her ally, Pascal. We're going to dive into Mulan, her ally, Mushu. We're going to dive into Moana. Her ally is Hey Hey and even Maui and even the ocean. She has a few allies and, and discuss what this means for you in your journey in finding allies. Like how do we find good allies and what make out, like what can we expect when we gather with allies and what does that mean for the heroine and why is this a necessary part? So one of the most fascinating things that I found is I did a little bit of research to, to, to discover a little bit more about Facebook groups, because this is really the gathering of allies, right? This is the heroine wants to be around other people like her. So instinctively, I thought, okay, that can happen in Facebook groups, right? What kind of Facebook groups are you a part of? And there's everything from the Instant Pot community, everything from uh, the Clean Simple Eats community, everything from those who love Labradoodles community, like you are seeking for allies, people like you, right? There is wonderful, wonderful solidarity when we gather together. And what I loved learning from was that according to Facebook, Women are 40% more likely to create groups that become meaningful to people. And women also create nearly 70% of all fundraisers on Facebook. These are all examples of women seeking out allies. Okay, meaningful gatherings. And this may feel like a surprise to you. It may not, depending on how you have conducted yourself with allies in the past and groups. Okay, so what is it about allies? What is it about gathering? What is it about these kinds of groups that are so meaningful specifically to women? Why aren't we just immediately going through the gate and saying, where is Gandalf? And, and where is Dumbledore, right? And where is Yoda? Like, that's who I want to find instinctively. Why is it that that's not our experience? Why do we first seek to belong? Why is that the case? So um, Stephen Owen, the general young men's president back in 2018, gave a BYU devotional about gathering specifically. It's an incredible talk. And she's, and he said this, he said, I believe something powerful happens anytime we gather as God's covenant people anywhere in the world, no matter how many people the gathering may include. That power can be difficult to describe, but perhaps these words of the Savior explain it best, quote, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So that is the Savior promising that he will be in the midst of us when we gather as his covenant people. I love that promise. Next, what about there being a sense of energy and belonging when we gather together? Okay, I want you to picture stadiums. I want you to picture even smaller settings like book clubs that maybe we've missed a lot of uh, due to COVID and the 2020 pandemic. Okay. And what about general conference? And I think about how conference was different when we met in the tabernacle versus the incredible conference center, okay? And, and Stephen Owen, the general young men's president says, any of you who have attended general conference know that there is something powerful about being in the conference center with 21,000 other Latter-day Saints. 
it's unforgettable. I have similar experiences. When I think back as a youth attending EFY, I went up to the, what used to be known as Rick's college. And I would sit there and I remember singing and cheering and, and dancing together with people who I felt like were like me, that we had common goals together. And there was a power there. And those are still memorable, life-changing experiences because I felt like I found allies. Fascinating, right? All right. Another reason is that we are promised that there is actually safety and strength when we gather and have allies among us. Our father in heaven wants to gather us because there is strength and safety in gathering. Stephen Owen says he has said that the gathering together upon the land of Zion and upon her stakes is for a defense and for a refuge from the storm. I will gather you, he has promised, as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wing, if you will repent and return unto me with a full purpose of heart. I love this so much. Often, I think about Relief Society activities, and I think about book clubs that I've been a part of, and I think of the seemingly lonely years that I felt like I was experiencing as a new medical student wife, okay? And I think about those gatherings and they were a defense. They were a defense against loneliness. They were a refuge from discouragement and being away from family. Like the promises that are talked about here in DNC 115, those resonate with me as I look back on the allies and the friendships that I forged during those years are still some of my most sacred and well-kept friendships today. When I was able to gather in it for a common purpose or goal, whether it was Relief Society, whether it was book club, whether it was a girl's night where we had a root beer tasting contest, it didn't matter. What mattered is that we were gathering together for a common purpose. It became a defense and a refuge. And on the contrary, it's fascinating what the adversary has sought to do and why maybe the year 2020 has been so hard on us as a faith, hard on us as women, hard on our kids, hard on our workplaces, because the adversary, on the other hand, he seeks to isolate us and divide us because just as gathering brings brings safety and strength, division brings weakness and danger. Isn't that fascinating? So we've had to get really creative with the pandemic going on, on how do we, how do we still gather with the pandemic going on like that? That can't be something that we just let go of. How do we still do that in a creative way and thank the Lord every day for technology and for create creativity in the entrepreneurial world and in our, in our faith and all those things that have allowed for us to still gather in more creative ways. All right. So this is our invitation to operate differently. And here is why. There's something that I have kept from you specifically about this ally in the heroine's journey, okay? The ally in the heroine's journey, yes, can be considered a friend or ally, but they also are defined as someone who is imperfect, maybe even a trickster. And typically in the story of the heroine, there is a moment of deceit or even betrayal. And I don't want to harp like in this really sad, lonely place. I want this to be an invitation for us as women to operate differently. Because when we become allies, guess what? It is going to be imperfect. It is going to be messy. It is going to be tricky. There may be moments where things happen that shouldn't 
happen. And I want you to, to look at some examples in film. Then let's look at some examples from our church leaders where they tackle this exact thing. Okay. So let's talk specifically about Ray, Ray from Star Wars. And if you haven't watched her films, you should watch her films. They're amazing. Okay. So most people would view that Han is her mentor in the first film, but actually her ally is Kylo Ren. Okay. And he is like the, the son of Leia and Han Solo, right? Do we know this? Hopefully we know all of this. If you don't know this, it's okay. Just hang with me because we're going to talk about Mulan and Moana if that's more your style in just a minute. But Kylo Ren actually fits this role re- a little bit more because remember the heroine's ally is not the stereotypical wise wizard. Hers is damaged and backwards and there's often a sense of betrayal there, okay? So Han is who you often think her ally would be. He's actually quite apathetic in The Force Awakens. He's been burned too many times to allow himself to be totally open to her. And he's struggling with his own internal issues. He has family drama. um, And and he, he kind of deserts her in a way. But Kylo, on the other hand, Kylo Ren, he actually recognizes his role with Rey. He recognizes her power and there's a bond there. Okay. And it's, it's a messy bond. They both have things that they're fighting against and they both have things that they wish weren't true about them. And they both have these really intense internal struggles, but it actually becomes more of a bond. And so he becomes sort of a driving force and an ally and a comfort to her in many of the scenes um, with Ray, which is really, really fascinating, but it's complicated. Okay. It's really, really complicated. And I want you to invite that truth into the fact that having allies is complicated. Working with other women is complicated. Um, gathering with other women and, and having allies, it is complicated and even messy. I want you to think of Mulan. Her ally is Mushu. And from the very beginning, he has deceived her that he is not the great dragon that her ancestors are set, have sent, right? He deceives her. Now, does it all turn out well in the end? Yes. And we know that. And we can see that we can forgive Mushu um, for that. Just know that allies are messy. And that's part of it. That's part of it. Next, Moana. The ocean abandons her. Maui abandons her. Her allies, they are messy. They are complicated. Does it all turn out well in the end? Do they eventually help each other reach their end goals and become something great and that friendship is restored? Yes, yes, but it's messy and it's complicated, okay? I'm gonna dive into a little excerpt from a book that is called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. This is an out-of-print book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, But this is, I was actually reading this book in preparation for the episode before this when we were talking about the difference between comfort and peace. And this is a book that is co-authored by Patricia Holland and Jeffrey R. Holland. What an amazing couple and leaders of our faith. And Patricia Holland, Patricia Holland wrote the first half of the book and Elder Holland wrote the last half of the book and her chapter on the fruits of peace specifically talks about the interactions between women and how we struggle. She says, quote, it seems tragic to me that women are often their own worst enemies when they ought to be allies, nurturing and building each other. We all know how much a man's opinion of us can mean but I believe our self-worth as women is often reflected to us in the eyes of other women. When other women respect us, we respect ourselves. It is often only when other women find us pleasant and worthy that we find ourselves pleasant and worthy. If we have this effect on each other, why aren't we more generous and loving with one another? I've thought long and hard about this. I have finally come to suspect that part of the problem is the heart. We are afraid afraid to reach out, afraid to reach up. 
afraid to trust and to be trusted, especially with and by other women. In short, we don't love enough. We don't exercise to full capacity the greatest gift and power God gave to women. Dr. Gerald Gerald G. Jampolsky, a psychiatrist at the University of California, tells us that love is an innate characteristic. Okay. And I would love it if when we read this, by the way, this is Sarah talking, not Patricia Holland. If you could replace the word love with ally as I'm reading this. Okay. Tell us that becoming an ally is an innate characteristic. It is already there, but too often it becomes clouded over with fear which through life's experiences, we've conjured up ourselves. He says, quote, when you feel love for all, not just those you choose, but all those with whom you come in contact, you experience peace. When you feel fear with anyone you come in contact with, you want to defend yourselves and attack others. And there comes the conflict, close quote. Obviously, we have a choice, Patricia Holland goes on to say. If Dr. Jampolsky is right, we can choose love and experience peace or choose fear and experience conflict. Quoting again for Dr. Jampolsky, in order to experience peace instead of conflict, it is necessary to shift our perspective. Instead of seeing others as attacking us, we can see them as fearful. We are always experiencing love or fear. Fear is really a call for help and therefore a request for love. It is apparent that in order to experience peace, we do have a choice in determining the way we perceive things. Quote, Moroni made the same observation. He maintained that if we are able to overcome fear, we can be full of charity, which is everlasting love. Quote, behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God. I fear not what man can do for perfect love casteth out all fear. Okay. I love this. I love this so much because she calls us out. My dear friend, she calls us out. She says that we are fearful of one another and that's what stops us from becoming great allies or from gathering together at all that we are fearful. And I've thought a lot about this. I've thought about my own experiences where I have stepped away when I haven't reached out And she is absolutely right. Go figure. Patricia Holland is absolutely spot on that the times when I haven't reached out to a new neighbor or the times when, you know, I just moved into a new ward, when I I haven't boldly showed up at a a Relief Society activity or or I haven't helped or I haven't done a collaboration in business or, or whatever it is, it is often rooted in fear. And it is back to that initial fear that we battled at the very beginning of the heroine's journey. I'm afraid of being an outsider. I'm afraid of being criticized. I'm, I'm afraid of someone lashing out at me. I'm afraid of being judged, all of those different things. And yet we can accept that we know the greatest thing that we can do as nurturers is to love and enable people to be incredible in their spheres of influence. We know that we have already fought this fight of fear in the second stage of the heroine's journey. We know who we are. We've had it confirmed from God himself. We've made that commitment through the gate. Now, as we gather allies, we're going to do so with boldness, love, and total acceptance. We are going to do this together. 
I would love to have you hear directly from the word of Sister Eubanks because, man, can she put it into the more perfect words? Oh, it's just so good, okay? We as women are so mean to each other sometimes. We are so exclusive of each other. We are so petty, right? We are so, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have her share my thing because she didn't share my thing last time and I'm not going to share her thing because she asked, okay? I mean, are you hearing this in your own voice, okay? Are you hearing this? And it's like, ah, how can we make this shift to become great allies of one another? Sister Eubank is obviously going to bring this home for us. Here's what she says. As covenant women, we have broad influence. That influence is applied in everyday moments when we are studying with a friend, putting children to bed, talking to a seatmate on the bus, preparing a presentation with a colleague. We have power to remove prejudice and build unity. Okay. My friend, she's saying we have power to become allies. That's what she's saying. Okay. Here's what she says. I offer this invitation, be part of a collective force that changes the world for good. I'm going to say it one more time. I offer this invitation, be part of a collective force that changes the world for good. Not alone, not alone, not alone. You're an ally. Remember a collective force that changes the world for good. She goes on. Our covenantal assignment is to minister, to lift up the hands that hang down, to put struggling people on our backs or in our arms and carry them. It isn't complicated to know what to do, but it often goes against our selfish interests and we have to try. The women of this church have unlimited potential to change society. I have full spiritual confidence that as we seek unity, a feeling we will call down the power of God to make our efforts whole. This is tearing me up, my dear friend. That to me is a prophecy. Let me just read that last sentence one more time. The women of this church have unlimited potential to change society. I have full spiritual confidence that as we seek union of feeling, we will call down the power of God to make our efforts whole. It's a collective effort, my dear friend. She goes on to say this, each of us is going to have deeply wounding experiences, things that should never happen. Each of us will also at various times allow pride and loftiness to corrupt the fruit we bear. But Jesus Christ is our savior in all things. His power reaches to the very bottom and is reliably there for us when we call on him. We all beg for mercy for our sins and failures, and he freely gives it. And he asks us if we can give that same mercy and understanding to one another. Sister Eubank has so beautifully called out the imperfect nature of allies and yet the absolute unstoppable power of allies. Can we focus there? Yes, it's going to be imperfect. Expect it. Be prepared for it. And also be more prepared for the power of God that will absolutely amplify our efforts as women of his gospel. She goes on to say, Jesus put it bluntly, be one. And if ye are not one, ye are not mine. But if we are one, if we can spare a piece of our pie or fit our individual talents so that the boat can swing in perfect unison, then we are his. And he will help clear away the bad as fast as the good does grow. Close quote. Okay, I want to dive into my favorite example of an ally in the scriptures. Okay, we've talked about Moana, we've talked about Ray, um, we've talked from Sister Eubank, and we've talked with Sister Holland about, gosh, why why are women this way? And then also the antidote for that, and that is that collective force of unity. Okay, let's talk about the scriptures. Let's talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. After the angel departs, what she does. Okay, quote, and the angel departed from her. Close quote. 
So when Gabriel leaves, Mary is left alone. Okay. While it is one thing for a disciple to make declarations like hers in the presence of a divine messenger, which she did, what does she do now that the angel is gone? So this is her why moment. She has declared like, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Okay. I will do the Lord's work. I have done it. She is committed. She's gone through the gate. Okay. She's had the spark. She's gone through the gate. Now what? This is what I love. Guess what she does? She starts thinking, well, how does she explain this experience to her parents, to Joseph? What is the personal cost to her if they or the inhabitants of Nazareth do not believe her? Um, the close quarters of her life in Nazareth could now become super difficult for her. Okay. Can you see yourself in Mary's shoes? Okay. When you're about to start a business, when you're about to make a commitment um, to a new calling, when you're about to make some huge strides in a damaged relationship, you've got these questions like, how am I going to talk about this with this person? How is this going to impact my children? How is this, um, how can I talk about this with my spouse when, when he may be impacted in this? And like, what if nobody believes me? And like, what if I fail at this? Like all the questions start coming in. Let's follow her example, because what does the angel give her? Gabriel actually tells Mary about Elizabeth, an ally. He tells her about an ally. This to me shows that God knows the heroine. She needs the ally. Someone who is experiencing a similar, although not identical, miraculous pregnancy. Elizabeth's pregnancy is a sign to Mary that she is not alone, that there is at least one other person who has some sense of what she is going through. Elizabeth goes through the gate, or excuse me, Mary goes through the gate in her why moment, and she seeks Elizabeth. She seeks the ally. Then Gabriel unequivocally declares, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And here's what unites these women. God did the impossible for Elizabeth when she conceived. Gabriel's declaration is a reminder to disciples everywhere that when we respond to God's invitations, miracles can take place. And Mary experienced one of her own as well. Both were experiencing the impossible. So this is how we find those allies, okay? If an angel has not come to you and told you about your own ally or your own Elizabeth, and you feel like your prayers feel a little bit silent on who you can align yourself with, here is the example that I see from Mary and Elizabeth. They found the commonality. They found the commonality. They saw that they were both going to be experiencing something similar, pregnancy. That was their commonality. I like to call this the North Star. Okay. Seems very appropriate that we'd be talking about stars with, right, with Mary and Elizabeth, with the Christmas significance, but specifically your North Star with other women. Can you find the connecting piece? I like to kind of joke about the North Star a little bit because my grandpa Leonard, who was a church historian, was regularly around prophets and apostles. Okay. Always, like all the time with his calling. And then I think of my grandma, Grace, who came from the South, was a Southern girl who grew up in Logan, was a hair, was a hairstylist, all this kind of stuff. And yet when she would get together with people, it didn't matter if you were Spencer W. Kimball's wife, or if you were the person behind her in the grocery store line, she would find a way to connect with you. She would find the North Star and by default become your ally. And there is a story that I've shared here on the podcast before when she was sitting with Camilla Kimball at a dinner, the, the wife of the prophet. I mean, I'm sometimes I'm like, gosh, what would I say if I sat by, sat by Wendy Watson Nelson, right? Like, what would I say? Well, my grandfather was caught talking to Camilla Kimball about roses and how do you grow your roses so beautifully? That was their North Star. 
don't start with the obvious. Don't start with the obvious. It's like, I can only be friends and allies with people in business. Not necessarily, my dear friend. I can only be friends with people who struggle with depression. Mm, not necessarily. Maybe, but not, not necessarily. Don't start with the most obvious things. Can you find that North Star with your allies? Elizabeth and Mary were connected through pregnancy, sure. They were connected, though, through the miracles of God. I bet you and I could connect about that. You and I, we have a North Star. I love this. I want to give you one more phrase to have in your brain as we close out this idea of allies. The phrase comes from the Old Testament, okay? It is the word helpmeet, okay? In Hebrew, the word helpmate or helpmeet is derived from two words, okay? And I'm quoting from a blog post that I'll link in the in the in the show notes. Ezer and Kenengado, I'm sure I'm not saying it right, okay? The Hebrew word Ezer, though, it appears 21 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the word Ezer is most often used to describe God being an Ezer to human beings, okay? So help me comes from Ezer and Kenengado, okay? And Ezer is God being a savior to human beings, okay? When you look about, when you look for the word Ezer, it, it really means the word savior, Okay, they're easy to identify because they're always associated with expressions of deliverance or saving. Okay, other times in the Bible, the root ezer also can mean strength. Okay, about how God can be a strength to man and also a savior to man. So a help meet is a strength. Okay, which is really cool. So I want you to keep that in mind. A help meet is a strength. But what about this other word, this kenengdo that I don't know how to say? Okay, the the word kenengdo denotes the idea of equality or a mirror image of a man, but the opposite of him. Okay. It means in front of him or opposite as to him or corresponding as to him. Okay. A great visual explanation of the word kenengdo would be two wings on a bird. They are not the same, but they are equal. They correspond to each other. Both are useful for flight and necessary for flight, but they are not identical. When both are used together, they accomplish one person one purpose, and that is movement towards Christ. So Kenengdo and Ezer are mirror images and saviors. Okay. That's what they are. And what I love is that a marriage, okay, an allyship or a gathering together is often called a helpmeet. Okay. A spouse can be called a helpmeet. Okay. And so many people initially, when this came out, I remember being in seminary, there was a big old controversy that the word helpmeet meant servant. Okay. It doesn't mean servant. It means a savior and a mirror image of, okay. A partner to alongside with, this is where all the equality talk comes in and we're in great shape as women. Okay. There's no drama here. There's no drama here. But what I love when I use this word helpmeet to help me find allies, what it means is at my core with someone else, there has to be some similarities and I will find those things. And maybe it's roses. Maybe it is just like Camilla Kimball, but it also, it acknowledges that we are different. It acknowledges that we are mirror images of each other. Yes, some of our foundational things are the same, but man, do we have differences that allow us to fly in our own successful ways. And that is awesome. So can you find a help meet in the ally world by finding what that North Star, what that mirror image thing is that you can work with to further God's work through your incredible spark gifts, talents?
Okay, can we do that? Okay, I love the imagery here. We have talked about a lot of things today. We have talked about how heroes look for guides and heroines look for um, allies. We have talked about how it is a known thing that the ally relationship is imperfect. It's imperfect. And traditionally, it's actually there are deceits happening and it's messy and it's not very fun. We have also seen, though, the powerful influence that comes when allies do meet together, the safety, the security, the energy, the momentum, all of those things happen. We have also learned incredible things from Sister Eubank on how we can be part of a collective force that changes the world for good. And that we are promised that when deeply wounding experiences happen, that Christ is our savior in all things, and he will bring those things to heal. That that is just part of this journey. Welcome to it. Welcome to becoming who God can help you become by gathering around with incredible allies. We've also learned about Elizabeth, how they were united through a North Star experience. They both experienced the miracles of God. And my guess is that we can be allies too, as we have witnessed God's miracles in our lives and we can share those with one another. Now, the very last thing is don't get stuck in, in taking score with allies. Okay. You do your very best to support, cheer on, share, encourage, listen, hug, and laugh with your allies. And don't get in the habit of keeping score. Okay. I'm going to let that just linger there for a minute and allow yourself to really link arms with the women of this gospel. And let's push his work forward in what ever gifts and talents we have felt sparked to do it in. Okay. His work will move forward largely in part to the women of the gospel. It's been promised. It's been prophesied. Welcome to the party. I want to link arms with you. You're amazing. I'm going to close with this quote from, from Sharon Eubank. Unity doesn't magically happen. It takes work. It's messy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And it happens gradually when we clear away the bad as fast as the good can grow. We are never alone in our efforts to create unity, close quote. Find an ally, my amazing heroine, and we'll see you on the other side. Latter-day Ladypreneur is brought to you by Sarah Grace Live, audio work done by Rachel Johnston. Huge thanks to the Sarah Grace Live team for pursuing our dream of Esther 414. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Playing big in business is an incredible road to you becoming who God created you to be. Find coaching, classes, community, and my key strategies to playing big in the show notes and at sarahgracelive.com. Thanks for listening.